0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Mass Construction Show with today's guest, Bob Petroselli, CEO and Executive Director of the Associated General Contractors of Massachusetts. I'm your host, Joe Kelly, and this is the podcast about all things construction in Massachusetts and beyond. In today's show, you hear what Bob and the AGC of Massachusetts do for their members, and more importantly, what they do for our industry and general contractors as a whole. The most in-depth part of our conversation involves advocacy, And what the AGC does on the legislative front with lobbying, forming coalitions with other construction-related associations, and the important work of submitting legislations to improve our industry, but more importantly opposing bad bills that would be detrimental to general contractors. This is a whole other world that you probably don't know exists, and here's your chance to learn about it. Enjoy the show. Hey, Bob. Welcome to the Mass Construction Show. Thanks, Joe. I'm uh, happy to be here. Great. Uh, for folks that don't know, Bob is uh, my former boss as well. Just to get that out on, on the table, so if we start talking like we know each other, talking shop, that's that's why. Um, but Bob, I asked you to come in because I felt like, as someone that worked at the AGC, you know, there's a lot that happens there that affect people in our industry, but they don't know either. Don't know that it's happening, or they don't know what level or they have an idea about what a trade association might do. Um, but just to kind of lay the groundwork, what is the what is what is the AGC and what does the AGC do?
1: Sure. Well the AGC stands for Associated General Contractors of Massachusetts. We were founded in 1935 and we're a not-for-profit business association. Similar to Chambers of Commerce, where groups mm-hmm. of Uh, employers, groups of different businesses band together and form an association to protect their interests and to advocate for their interests. So AGC of Massachusetts is a chapter of the AGC of America in Washington, DC. Uh, There's 92 chapters and we're the 16th largest in the country. So we're located in Wellesley and we have a staff of eight and we're governed by a board of directors of 18 contractors from all around the state. Uh, our association represents the big, big general contractors to the smallest, Union and non-union. From eastern mass, central mass, and western mass. They are a collection of folks that do uh, public work and private work. But we don't do any highway work. Our, our contractors do commercial building, vertical work. Um, there's other associations that represent the home builders. Mm-hmm. There's associations that represent the bridge and highway contractors and underground utility folks, but we represent the commercial builders that build the buildings you see uh, in Boston, uh, in Worcester, the prisons, the schools, the uh,
0: state buildings, the uh, office towers, the condominium towers. Okay. So you have a trade association that represents commercial builders just like... I mean, some people... The Chamber of Commerce is, becomes broad because there's lots of companies, mm-hmm. but... Um, I'm sure there's the Barbers Association of Massachusetts and the Accountants Associations of Massachusetts. Exactly. This is the group for specifically the commercial, commercial builders, correct of the mm-hmm. United States. And what are some of the things that you guys do for your members? I mean, a lot of people know the education mm-hmm. that you guys do. What What are some of the things that 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 staff sure. of eight, uh, eight people? Yeah, sure. Okay.
1: So we what we have on staff is we have. Uh, of uh four executives uh, that are subject matter experts and an additional uh full-time director of safety so we have a director of safety who goes on the job sites and actually does training and development he does uh inspections out there for contractors we have a director of labor relations Uh, since two-thirds of our members are signatory to either the carpenters union or the laborers union or some of the other major trades We have a full-time labor relations director on staff that helps them with our labor relations issues. Myself, I'm the executive director, CEO, and I do the government relations, anything having to do with legislation or public agencies. Since half our members bid work to public owners, Mm -hmm. such as the school building authority or the the state's building authorities, um, there's a lot of issues there with procurement and with the way job public work is administered, so we represent their interests there. Full-time membership director as well, and uh, she is the one that goes out and makes sure our members are fully engaged, uh, goes out on the road and, and talks to our members about the different services we do. And we have a full-time uh, director of marketing and communications that does our newsletter, our programming, runs mm-hmm. our runs our program committee.
0: So those are just some of the staff. Yep. And then um, a big thing that I felt like there was the committee work. Mm-hmm. Um, the CLC Construction Leadership yep. Council, with the Young Professionals, the Safety Committee, VDC Committee, Women in Construction. Yep. Um, so you guys are really out advocating for the needs of the different segments, whether it's safety or women or public c- contracting, and then helping to educate the workforce of right. your know, members. It's we actually do.
1: You know, you look at it. Some of our services are geared internally to our members to to helping our members grow and become profitable. And then the other half is external, where we're advocating on at the state house or with the trade unions or with subcontractors uh, to affect a better business climate in which our members operate. So we do the outside and then we also do the inside. So that we, I like to tell our, our members that just consider the AGC staff as your back office operations. So when you pay your dues to belong to the association, you get eight professional staff person. Plus, as you mentioned, Joe, uh, the committees, as you said, there's a committee for every type of construction issue, whether it's project management or safety or labor relations or public contracting, uh, virtual risk. design and construction. I think you started that group. Yep. Uh, risk, HR, Risk, exactly, age, yep. risk, mm-hmm. the code, uh, the environment. Okay. And uh, you mentioned the one that we just started this past year, or Lisa set it up, was the Building Woman in Construction. That has become our fastest growing, other Mm. than the young contractors, the fastest growing group, and the most active. Yeah,
0: no, it's great. Um, So you've mentioned a couple times advocacy, and that's why I wanted you (coughs) to come here today. Um, I learned so much on the legislative side. Not that I was able to dig deep and get into the details, but... I didn't understand. So my assumption is that the people listening that are project managers or estimators or VDC managers at these companies don't understand that there is even an agency out there looking at what kind of legislation is coming and how it impacts Mm -hmm. our industry. So um, maybe if we could just start um, with the basics. So what is advocacy look like? Um, -hmm. I mean, I know, but so you guys have a lobbyist as well. Yep. You work a lot. Um, I believe you even have to register with the state. I'm a registered
1: lobbyist as well. Yep.
0: So what does advocacy mean? Um, what, what's advocacy versus lobbying? And Mm -hmm. I know you've often talked about this kind of a bad, um, dark cloud over the term lobbyist and it really shouldn't be but so what is does adv- what does advocacy sure. look like for someone okay. that doesn't understand
1: it's it's well two things and i'm going to get in in 10 seconds to the the lobbying sure. piece on beacon hill you have advocacy and half of what we do is it with state state agencies it's the state agencies that regulate or have regulations on how construction is procured so, you're dealing with the Department of Environmental Protection or with the code or the city departments or with the state's building authorities. And then you have the actual advocacy at the State House in the building itself, mm-hmm. working with the legislators on legislation. And so it's two pronged. But I think today we're talking mostly about what we do at the State House. We have a, a full time uh, lobbyist that we have, out, it's an outsource, Pat Huntington at Mass Bay Associates. And I'd have to say every trade association, and there's hundreds of Massachusetts, have their own lobbyists. And many like AGC have lobbyists on staff as well. Um, some of the larger groups like maybe AIM uh, and the Chambers of Commerce will have one or two lobbyists. But AGC, um, we, we uh, ha- have the lobbying because you, you need that presence. You need somebody up there um, knocking on doors every day at the state house when they're in session. And basically, the, what we're there to do is you know, promote and protect the interests. I can't say that enough. And every two years, there's a legislative session. The next one starts January 1st of 2019, and it goes for a year and a half, and they adjourn on July 31st of 2020. Mm-hmm. So this last session started January one of 2017, and they adjourned this past
0: July. And then can I ask, so, and then at that point come July, that's when they'll use the term they're out of session? Out of session, or they go into informal session where they
1: take up, you know, most of people, most of, they take their vacations, but Mm -hmm. some of the committees up there still work. Some legislation may get passed, but it's only if there's a majority and there's nobody, you know, one person can stop a a bill from going through on one vote after the session ends. Interesting. But most of the activity is during the regular session. I think, you're, I think your listeners will be surprised to learn that every session over 8,000 bills get filed. Wow. And I'd have to say there's several hundred that impact the construction industry. Each so cycle. Each cycle. Yeah. And so our lobbyist will take the first month or two or three and go through all those bills, and then we'll actually bring them to our, um, our legislative committee. And we'll go through those and we'll kind of prioritize which ones are the ones that we are are the most harmful, which ones are the ones that we could support. So we'll have different positions we have on each bill, like strongly support, support, neutral, strongly oppose, or just not oppose all that much. Mm. And um, so you have to be careful because you only have so many chits to use up there. So you can't be jumping up and strongly opposing everything. So if you think a bill isn't going to go anywhere, it might be the 10th year someone's filed it and it's just a dog of a bill. Mm -hmm. You're not going to go up there and scream and knock on doors to oppose it because you want to save those chits.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Like, you know, you can't go to the mat over everything. Yeah, you choose your
1: battles. You pick your battles. Exactly.
0: So just let's talk about that mechanic. So the lobbyist that the AGC hires does that cursory review of, what happens in the new session, mm-hmm. which lasts 18 months, um, brings that to you on mm-hmm. staff. And then, so lobbyists is part of this, agency yep. staff, and then it becomes the a com- membership. Yeah, and the committees, yes. Right. Mm-hmm. So the committee and to some degree board of directors potentially? Well, our recommendations would
1: go to the board. So um, they, would, they would read through and we give recommendations on what bills to support or not to support. And every year, there's always some bill that's out of the blue, like, geez, we never thought about that. That could change the way construction is procured. And I'd have to say most of the bills impact public construction. Not too many. Uh, Like this past year, certainly the past two years, wage theft and a few others like lien law reform and the subcontractors retainage and prompt pay back in 2010 and 2013 uh, impacted private construction. Mm -hmm. So that really got our board interested in that. So... um, yeah, so uh, we take positions on that. Okay.
0: And, it, and what does that? What does a position look like? I mean, I'm sure there's a spectrum, but mm-hmm. it's a letter to, yeah, um, yeah. A, a committee, or how does that? Yes, does that look like
1: what that would look like is after the bills are all assigned to committees. So let's say in the spring, that and we're talking
0: what, committees at the state at house. the state house, right, exactly. Not to get confused with right. legislative committee or whatever at yep. the AGC. Yeah.
1: There, there are several committees at the state house: judiciary, state administration, labor, and workforce development. So the 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 people that work at the state house, the um, staffers in all those committees, they all go, they all get put into the, the state house, and then they all get assigned to committees. They read through and figure out, oh, this is budgetary, this is workforce, this is you mm-hmm. know having to do with state law. So they all get assigned to committees, and it's not until probably May. Maybe April or May of that first year that they start to flush out and they get published, and then they have start having public hearings where they would hold a hearing on all the committees before their, all the bills before their committees, and sometimes that could take weeks. Hmm. And you go up and testify. So you usually do two things: you can send a letter, write a letter in support. You know, say the Associated General Contractors describe yourself. And you talk about your who you represent and why you support or oppose the particular bill, and you send that in. Uh, to really make a good case, when they have an actual public hearing, it's good that you you, you show sure. up. And sometimes they're in Gardner Auditorium, you might have 200 or 300 people at the hearing because they might be doing 40 bills that day, huh. and you are there, and they go through it by order of number, and they just assign a number to the bill you could be there two or three hours listening to a other. ton of other bills that mm-hmm. really aren't particular to construction until they get to yours and then you would get up and testify if it's a bill that we file and i can get into that in just a yeah minute. We but bills that we're opposed to first they ask all those in favor and then they would have all the people get up maybe if the subcontractors association or the trade unions or a municipality wants a bill they all testify in favor Hmm. Then they'll ask the opposition, all those then opposed, you go up, and so they have a panel that's set up almost like um you used to see at these public hearings uh in Washington D.C. It's a kind of semicircle with the legislators with microphones in front of them. Yeah. And there's this little table down in front that you have to get up, you sit down, and you sit at the table in front of a microphone and you state your name and why you oppose. And I mean, they usually the chairman of the committee will make sure this goes through because they don't want this process to
0: drag. It's take on. forever. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it, it can be in various forms, but if it's something that you've got mm-hmm. um, some serious skin in the game, you want to make sure you're there testifying.
1: Right. yeah, exactly. And the other thing, too, is if you have a bill that you are in favor of, which we'll get to in a minute... Mm-hmm. And it's not until then, you don't see the letters of opposition coming in. So at the public hearing, it flushes out the opposition.
0: So you could be caught off guard.
1: You could. You could be sitting there and all of a sudden, anyone in opposition, and you can see two or three people go up and they represent maybe a supplier or a subcontractor or an architect or an agency saying, no, we're against that bill. It's like, oh my God. Then we realize we got our work to do. Mm. We have our work cut out because we need to go see those people or meet with them to talk about their opposition and try to mitigate that.
0: Okay. So now I want to get into um, the talk about coalition in a second. But um, so you have the bills that you oppose in varying degrees, right? Mm -hmm. Softly or strongly. You have bills that someone else has filed that you um, could be in favor of. Favor of or, or, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, And then there is ones that you would... Draft yourself, or you would put yes. forward yourself mm-hmm. as the AGC of Massachusetts. You propose, yes, X, Y, and Z to happen. Mm-hmm. If the legislative session starts in January, at what point do you need to start working on that proposal, yep. mm-hmm. and when do you need it in, yep. in by? Like, how, how does how does that yep. look when you collectively, at the AGC, the board says we want to pass legislation for? X, mm-hmm. we need to get behind this. Let's say it's safety. Mm-hmm. You know, we want everyone to have an OSHA 30 on a job, just yep. for lack of a better example, right? Um, how would how would that look?
1: Sure. Um, well, the bill filing deadline this coming year, I think, is January 15th. So bills, even though the session starts the first, the bills have to all be in. You have to have them in the hopper uh, by the 15th of January. So that we back then you back up and you go back to let's say Labor Day or September if you want to file new legislation. You would have an idea of what you want to file. I mean, sometimes it would take months um, to come up with legislate. You know, a, 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 a bill that you would kind of hammer out just within AGC. But we, AGC has four bills that we filed for the past few years, so they're already set up. We've already filed them. So this year we would file them again. They're already. We don't need any more um, fine tuning. A few may need some fine tuning because mm-hmm. they they didn't pass for a certain reason, So Sometimes, um, the, uh, uh, you know, some, like someone the at f- a hearing feedback get feedback a, at someone like the, we have one on the, um, like default insurance um, for public construction instead of, and it, uh, in addition to getting a bond, there's this, uh, subcontractor default insurance option that mm-hmm. we're asking that would give contractors a little bit more flexibility. Uh, the bonding industry came out against it because there's, there's an impact, um, Uh, uh, on the way the bonds are procured so we're thinking if we but because it changed a certain line of the statute but if we go and instead affect it toward a payment statute versus the lien statute then their opposition would go away so that's why we need you flush that out Hmm. so but i'll get to that in a minute because where we go with this is we filed the legislation and this We'll be filing uh, four bills. One would be the OSHA 10-hour. We'd like to get OSHA 10-hour. Everyone on a public construction project, we passed that in um, 2004, has to have an OSHA 10-hour certificate to be on a public job site. What we want to do is take that another step further and say that you must get recertified every, every five years because mm-hmm. you could get certified at age 28 in and, and, and 2008, and never have to get recertified again. And means and methods change. Absolutely, you yeah. know. So, and it, it's good to have that. We have another one where um, on public construction, um, uh, there was a court decision that um, on under the construction reform law that general contractors would be able to go and see risk projects to have their trade contractors participate in the minority, women, and minority uh, contract subcontractor goals, mm-hmm. and. Um, there was a uh, attorney general decision said that was illegal. You could not have a general contractor have a subcontractor help with the general contractor's goals because hmm. uh, it gets complicated because if you bid and get a job contract, would it basically the attorney general said, you can't take turn around and subcontract out some of your contract to somebody else. Mm-hmm. So even though the intent was to help meet the MBE goals and WBE goals,
0: so we're we're trying to reverse that decision by legislation. Yeah, and that seems that seems to make sense, mm-hmm. which is the goal is to have a certain percentage of the work on that project. Mm-hmm. Be sure. minority or women, and sure, exactly minority. Yeah, and and not stuff. just workers,
1: but companies, minority right. firms. And so, since the con, since most of the work uh, is filed sub bid, filed sub bids, bidders are prohibited from sub subbing out a portion of the work. So we're mm-hmm. saying, we're not telling the subs to subcontract it out all their work. We're just saying where you can help meet the goals to the extent that maybe no more than five percent of your your pro, uh, bid gets subcontracted out. So we're not telling them to go sub out half their work, but mm-hmm. just a portion just to help us meet those goals. So um, we're working on that okay.
0: again. Now, can horse trading happen? Like, let's say the OSHA 10 recertification, you put forward every five years, mm-hmm. Um could it go to a committee and they said, listen, if you make this 10, then we'll all go for it?
1: Yeah, a lot of that happens. A lot of times uh, at the state house, you'll have uh, a hearing. And you two things, you could find out if someone opposes it, or you might have the state agencies oppose that. Hmm. And so sometimes uh, you'll have either like the AGC will take it upon themselves to meet with the folks that oppose it and sit down. And we'll have a meeting. Say, what don't you like about this? They go, well... You know, we don't like five years or we don't like this. I said, well, if we change it, would you withdraw your opposition? And they'll say, yeah. And if we say, and if we actually put in this sentence, would you support it? They might say, yes. And if it doesn't um, diminish the integrity of our bill, Mm -hmm. then all of a sudden we have ourselves an ally. Then you go back, then you would go back up to that committee, maybe a few weeks or a few months after that hearing and say, we got ourselves a deal. That, remember, they, those people stood up and opposed us, they're on board or they withdrew their opposition, and then the committee will say, that's good, and then they'll release your bill. Because a lot of times, most of those 8,000 um that are filed die in committee.
0: Okay, so, so ex- explain to people. So the you put forward, <laughs> let's just say an example, it's yours, um, AGC decides to file something, you work out the appropriate language, file the mm-hmm. bill, it gets assigned to a committee, then the committee has to release it, which will then allow it to be voted on? Is that the...
1: Yeah, usually the committee has so many days to release bills or the bills die. And so you're hoping to get that bill out of committee. And you know what's interesting, Joe, is that the way the legislature works, this is like another layer of complexity, is that the legislatures in every 50, all 50 states, even Congress, it's built for inertia. Hmm. It's just built for inertia. It's It's built to keep bad bills from moving forward. So... It's an extra lift to get bills moving through because it's set up to just keep bills where they are, mm-hmm. unless there's an overwhelming coalition that pushes wants something to move yeah. forward. And that's another piece, too. So that um, many times you have a bill and if there's just one or two people opposing your bill, it doesn't go anywhere. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it would take a huge effort. If, if there's opposition to your bill and if it's from a whole bunch of folks, then you'll have to you you'll never see the light of day. So yeah. eventually you got to sit down and negotiate. And that's what either you do it on your own because you know preemptively this is going to happen. Or in the case of the um, prompt pay, we opposed the subcontractor's prompt pay bill. And so the Speaker of the House called us in. Is it AGC and ASM? I know you guys have done a lot together on construction reform. You work together on the Lean Law. You've done a lot of good work together. Work it out. You've got thirty days before the session ends to work out this bill, and we mm-hmm. did. The speaker put a gun to our heads, and we came up with a compromise. So sometimes it's driven by the legislature to mm-hmm. say if they think there's potential in a bill, they'll they'll um, force that okay. on you, which is good because sometimes each organization. You end up putting your, your uh, sticks on the ground yeah. and, and you're in each other, you're in your corner and mm-hmm. it's, you have to prove to your members that, that you're, you're not going to give in. Them. Right, and right. so you mm-hmm. it's it takes outside facilitator to get you to
0: the middle. Yeah. I like the inertia explanation and I'll editorialize for a second. The, uh, the uh, libertarian leaning in me kind of likes that, right? Because there's already so many bills mm-hmm. and laws that are in place. That are hard to keep up with, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you experience it on the code side of things. People really struggle to keep up with all the regulation. There's so much regulation, and we just keep adding it on, and it never goes away, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's interesting to hear you say that. That's the way it's I think structured it's, it's to good. try and slow yeah. that down. I think that's a good thing.
1: I think it is, but you know, it's funny. There's two. There's two philosophies on Beacon Hill, or in any state house, or even in Congress. Some feel government is supposed to keep some feel that government stays out of business mm-hmm. that it's a free market and let businesses operate the need the way they need to mm-hmm. the other philosophy is equally passionate thinks that government is the job of government to, to control to control it. that yeah. because right. look what happened the great depression <laughs> look mm-hmm. what happened you know wall street crash in 2008 if mm-hmm. you let the, that free market go too far everyone crashes and burns and mm-hmm. so the government is supposed to step in to try to regulate. So I know a lot of our members, I feel, as business people that started a business from scratch, like keep government out. Hmm. Um, except when <laughs> then, you know, we want lien law reform or if there's something that we feel is unfair to us, hmm. we feel against an owner, uh, like on the lien uh, law, the prompt pay. But then we the subcontractors feel the same way on retainage. So it yeah. goes up and down that yeah. chain.
0: I think that push and pull is good, though, the right? The push
1: and pull, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. and and you know one thing I learned, Joe? We talk, we're we going to get into coalitions. There's no such thing as a permanent alliance. You form alliances for convenience. Hmm. You could be with one group one day, and then the next session they file a bill, and you're, uh, you're against them the next time. Hmm. But, um, and, but then if you're fighting tooth and nail with somebody on something one year— you could actually find another bill that you actually are allied with them. Mm-hmm. So there's shifting sands all the time. You never know exactly who is loyal to who.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, it's that famous quote, right? Politics makes strange bedfellows. Exactly right. right? And yeah. the other thing is you, there's two things you never,
1: ever want to see made at Beacon Hill. It's, poli- it's laws and sausages. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just the way it works. Mm. But I think it's that um, checks and balances. Mm-hmm. So you have... Uh, that's why you know, two-party system is always good. It's a check, some it's a check and balance. But we want good laws to be passed. We want good laws to be passed, and and it does take a lot to pass uh, good legislation. And you form a, you form coalitions. Uh, we did one with the subcontractors on prompt pay, on
0: retainage,
1: on the lien law.
0: Um, the, so let's let's actually let's go right into it. Um, we've hinted about it. Um, a lot of these things don't happen in vacuums, right? It's not one person puts it forward and it moves all the way through. Um, coalitions get formed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and correct me if I'm wrong here because I'm no expert in this. But presumably, when a committee looks at a substantial, coalitions, uh, a substantial coalition of um, associations or government or private industry, come forward, that becomes a net positive, right? Mm-hmm. If they're like, wow, there's 30 business associations in Massachusetts that are all behind mm-hmm. this, you know, that th- that means something. It's not one specific industry that's just trying to, yep. you know, feather their own nest or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so a coalition is tends to be looked on positively, especially if it's a broad coalition. Yep. I don't know if that's a fair statement or not. <laughs> sure. Um, how does that play out? Does a coalition start when... You're drafting a bill. Does it, you know, what does what does a coalition look like? How does it come sure. together? What's the benefits? What's the is there any is there are there any potential um, pitfalls with forming sure. a coalition? I coalition? think there's
1: like three different types of coalitions. One is if there's commissions formed, like during the 2004 construction public construction reform law, there was a to force a coalition. There was a legislative commission set up to look at public construction reform. And we got ourselves names. So it was us, the Associated Subs, ABC, all the construction groups, subs. There was public owners. There was municipalities. There was the unions, the non-union groups. And they all came together to come up with what is a, a, a model for a great alternative delivery system than the low-bid system. So that was set up by commission. So that was a, a great coalition. Then there's times when there's a coalition that... Forms a bill. It's around a specific bill, a one-time-only coalition that you might want to um, file something. And there's two or th- other three, two or three other groups that at the hearing will say this is a good bill. So then you sit down and you say, like, okay, we meet with their legislative staff or their lobbyists, the two or three associations, and they may make some corrections to your bill. Say, you know, if, if you just tweak this a little bit, you know, we don't oppose your bill. We think it's good, but we'll really get on board. Mm-hmm. And then you have two or three groups together walking up there, arm in arm. Or you might have their lobbyists say, me, and the lobbyists say, okay, I'm going to take these five legislators we know. You take those four, and eventually you, you circle the wagons, and there's a strategy based upon a bill. And then there's just a preemptive one, like AGC. It belongs to what we call Mass Kick, the Mass Construction Industry Council. It's the executive directors of all the construction groups. There's like 16 of them, including the architects and some owner groups. Mm -hmm. We would meet once or twice a year and just say, okay, what's on your mind? What keeps you up? What are some of the bills? Where are your positions on this? And sometimes we actually get ahead of it and we actually meet to take a look at what what each association is trying to do so that if there's it's mostly to find common ground. If there's two or three bills we all support, then we change our testimony, our letters that go in, we change it from just AGC sending in that we submit put, support this bill. We put all the logos of all the groups on one letterhead. So it's a coalition supporting a bill or opposing a bill. And that's just a standing coalition that, that's been around for 30 or 40 years. Mm. And the neat thing about it is, getting together a couple of times a year with the other executive directors and their lobbyists and maybe their government relations staff is you're forming relationships. You're building trust. Mm. I can call I can call anybody at the other groups and know that they'll pick up the phone and say, hey, Bob, what's going on? Hey, John, like, geez, what did you hear about this? And so you're working informally behind the scenes. So there's a trust already built in. So mm. that's a preemptive. We do that even before, this, this, the, we actually uh, met last spring um, just to
0: chat about filing bills for the following year. Mm. And now does that, but it also must mean that you're in the room sometimes oh, yeah. uh, with people that you're disagreeing with. Exactly. Right? That must get a look. yes, because I mean, people ju- want, I'm, I'm sure they understand that this is the way it works, but there, it must be slightly uncomfortable at some point.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because, um, you know, there's some trade groups that, you know, we had, there's a pushing for an indemnification bill, an anti indemnification bill, and we opposed it, they're for it. But, you know, I think at least it flushes out in advance who opposes within the industry and who's for it. You know, like you don't have to go to a hearing to find out someone opposing it. Yeah. But what you do is you find out in advance and you realize, okay, we just have to agree to disagree. But at least then sometimes you go off in the corner and say, you know what? How about if you get two or three of your guys, your board members, and I'll get two or three of my board members or committee members, and why don't we just sit down for coffee and talk about this? Even if we can't come to an agreement, at least we understand <coughs> why they oppose our bill. Mm-hmm. You know. And, and unless you change it, maybe that's when you go, reg- okay, how about if we change this? Would you agree to it or mm-hmm. not oppose? So it's, that's what it is. And again, the legislators really like it when trade groups whether it's in the medical community or whether it's like the Automobile Dealers Association, the real estate development community, the construction groups, uh, the teachers versus union, it's, they like it when you come unified on something mm-hmm. that you've already taken care of the opposition.
0: Yeah. Now, so it would probably be fair to say that that mass kick group your coalitions are always some form of those. Yeah. How, how many are there? 20?
1: Uh, well, I think there's about 15 or 16 15. groups because you have the associated subs, A, B, C. Then you have the specialty trade groups like NECA, the electrical contractors, yeah. the plumbing, heating, cooling contractors, the mechanical contractors... Now, would, AGC. Is NAOP part of there um, We are working with NAOP for sure and with AIM, the state's business industry group, on the wage theft. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I mean, you have the core group of just, for example, AGC, which is general contractors, and then mm-hmm. you, the uh, SIM, which are the road builders, general contractors, and utility contractors. Mm-hmm. Even though they're horizontal and we're vertical, we're general contractors. And yeah, then the next is the construction. Groups with the subcontractors, which are the mostly fall into the vertical camp. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you might have our interests more aligned with the subs than we are with the road builders. Right. Because they only go one tier down and they're all public work. Mm-hmm. You know, so sometimes our interests are not aligned with the road builders, but but for the most part we are, because you know, in other states we've seen Battles between the highway chapter, because sometimes AGCs and other states have two chapters. We're just, as I said, we're only building, and there's Mm -hmm. no, the highway chapter is a non AGC chapter. They're fighting tooth and nail about funding for schools versus funding for highways. And I said, it's not guns versus butter here in the old economic term. You know, we're all for it. If, if you build, the more highways they build, then they're, they're going to build more buildings at the interchanges. So bring yes. it on. You know, the mm-hmm. more economic development. So we're not opposed to transportation funding at all mm-hmm. because there is going, that will mean, it will spur economic development if you have a good transportation system.
0: Yes. And, yeah, so roads and public transportation. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So, so people can get a... Um, sense because we've been talking a lot in generalities Um, you've mentioned a few bills without really going into detail Um, one bill in particular that continues to be refiled and i think um, really shows the impact that um, a bill could have on legislation Um, and for like a counterpoint would be okay if the OSHA 10 needs to be certified every 10 years it's not earth-shattering, mm-hmm. right? Um, but in particular, the wage theft bill mm-hmm. um, looks like it could have s- some serious unintended—yeah, unintended, yeah, unintended Con- consequences. <laughs> um, so maybe could you just, for people that don't know what that is, maybe explain what the wage mm-hmm. theft bill is. Um, there are similar bills in other states sure. that are in mm-hmm. place, but um, what, what is wage theft, and kind of what's mm-hmm. been the process with it so far? Sure.
1: I think the, the trade the construction unions and the AFL CIO and CEIU the service employees unions have filed legislation to mitigate wage theft and what that means is I think it's geared toward like Chinese fast food restaurants nail salons any places of business that don't pay their people or misclassify their workers as independent contractors or don't pay them the prevailing wage on public work or you know delay payment to them. And it's over the past two years, it's kind of morphed into more of a construction bill because the way it is written, it kind of talks about you know, the lead, and for, before it was lead employer will be vicariously liable. Now it's called the lead contractor, which mm. implies construction. So that what it means is, and, and believe me, we are against wage theft. Our members are losing work to those unscrupulous competitors that don't pay their people or misclassify them or you treat all of your subs or your employees as independent contractors and pay cash under the table. It's not right. It's not fair. These people can't earn a fair wage. And and they're taking jobs away from legitimate contractors. But the, the way the bill is written, it, it it is very draconian in the sense that if a subcontractor or a contractor or a lower tier contractor does has a violation and you're found that they're in violation of it, and and this could go out three years. I was just about Three to say. years after the violation of someone comes up and says, I didn't get paid. It automatically goes right up to the general contractor. And yeah. so we believe it's the direct employer that should be responsible. But in so many cases, a lot of cases, and, and the unions are, I have a point. Some unscrupulous contractors or general contractors will set up sham corporations or use a broker. So that the subcontractor is only really a broker. And so, after the job is finished or after they complete their work, they go out of business. And so, like, there's no one to go after. So, they have to go up the chain, mm-hmm. up the chain to the general contractor. And I think they think that this would force general con- t- contractors to make sure they only hire good and reputable subs. Mm-hmm. But in large, like, look at the uh, casino, the Ever Casino. You've got like, you know, you could have three or four or five tiers down. Mm -hmm. and there's no way that a general contractor may know the practices or payment practices of a contractor down below you know the general contractor is responsible for safety in the job sites one argued Mm -hmm. so that the general has has, is responsible for the all the subcontractors in a job site so why shouldn't they be responsible for their making sure they got payment of wages well on the job site you can see if someone's doing something wrong i was going to say we have no access to go into someone's company office in like stoughton and go through the shuffle through their records to see how they're misclassifying we have no clue and we have no notice we have no idea and going back out for three years they come back after the jobs closed out and said i didn't get paid and now you got to pay twice
0: yeah so i have a bunch of things i want to say here okay because we're going to have people listening to this that are executives and understand everything you're saying Mm -hmm. and then there's college students Mm -hmm. that listen to this so um I'm going to try and recap what you just said and correct me where I'm wrong. Just go ahead and interrupt because it probably will be. Um, when you talk about um, tiers down, so for instance, you're a general contractor, mm-hmm. you hire an electrician. Mm-hmm. That electrician hires a another electrician to do the low voltage older. for right. control or mm-hmm. AV or whatever. If that sub subcontractor's subcontractor either misclassifies, or doesn't pay properly, or delays payment. Okay, Even though you hired ABC Electrical for $10,000, you paid them for their work, but they hired somebody else who hired an individual. Three years down the line, if five of those individuals show up and say, hey, I wasn't paid properly, you as a general contractor who has no control over that mm-hmm. payment of those employees are liable. And if I read it right, it's treble damages. Mm-hmm. So I don't know why yeah. people still use the term triple damages, right? Yeah. But, so it's triple damages. So you're liable down the line for something that you really have no control over. Right, True. am I saying that mm-hmm. correctly? Right,
1: so what we're hoping you know, and, and every, we're starting to talk, everyone's talking, and we're, we're trying to bring the parties to the table to at least understand, you know, we understand that wage, we're not a for wage theft. We're, we're again, we need some type of... Um, <coughs> yeah, you want, people to, be paid. Yeah, we yeah, want yeah. people to be paid. We want people to be paid. We want them to be paid the way we want them to be classified, right? And in public work, to a degree, it's, you know, it's already through certified payrolls that are sent up to the owner. On private work, it would, you know, what it would mean? Some type of certified payroll scheme? I don't know. Mm. But, um, you know, right now we're saying, but, you know, with the prompt pay law, the general contractor has to pay within, you know, 30 days, 45 days. And if not, you're in violation of the law. So if you hold back payment until someone certifies that they paid below, you're in, you're in violation of two laws. Yes, you can't win. So we're trying to work that out. And I mm. think there's conversations now starting to happen. I think the employer groups want to meet with the trade unions and the construction, especially the construction unions and say, here's our issues with it. And we're all the ones that want to do good. We don't want to be unintentionally penalized. So let's go after the bad actors. So there is movement toward discussions. And I am hopeful that there could be some type of legislation perhaps that could pass that would uh, alleviate the fears of the good contractors being unintendedly harmed and go after the folks that they're trying to go after. So, uh, I'm hopeful that uh, the two parties will come to a resolution
0: mm. on this. You use the term vicarious liability. Could you explain what that, <laughs> what well, that means? It's, what I a broad, it's a spot? broad
1: term, which means that uh, one party would be liable for paying the damages to another party. Um, downstream so Mm -hmm. that it it, what it means is it would treat an employee all the employees of a sub or sub -sub subcontractor as your own employees basically Mm -hmm. you have to ensure that they're getting paid the proper rate prevailing wage classified the right way so and we just it's almost impossible to do Now, if you have noticed, I mean, if you were notified within 30 or 60 days or 90 days during a normal requisition period, then you can do something about it. Hmm. And that's what we've talked to the uh, proponents of the legislation. If there are notification benchmarks along the way that we know, if if we're we're notified or if a pension fund notifies us that they didn't get the the uh, payment made, then we can do something about it before we make the payment. Hmm. So we need to have that. So we're having conversations about that paper trail or that release up. And I know the workers' compensation uh, has the law, you know, has a scheme where it goes back up. Instead of going back down, you know, it goes, you know, they start with the offending a lower tier sub. And if they can't do it, then it goes up the tier. So hmm. to me, you're going to the responsible parties step by step. And then if nothing happens, then the general may be on the hook. But yeah, why skip
0: over? Why the- skip
1: over the offending parties? And, you know, we, we had said there's some really great, great union contractors that our members hire because if they're signatory, they, they use them. Mm. But there's been cases over the past few years, especially in 08, 09, 010 during the recession, that they go out of business. So someone could go insolvent and automatically, after you've made payment to them, their worker didn't get paid or maybe their benefit funds didn't have get contributed to, mm. then you're on the hook for that. Yeah. And so... There's always exceptions and and there's nothing that I always say there's nothing black and white in this world. There's a lot of gray. Mm. So I'm hopeful we're we're working toward bringing the parties together and having a conversation about this because for the past four years, the bill has not passed, and no mm-hmm. one's talked to each other. It's just either we're opposed or they you know, again, everyone's in their corner screaming no, 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 or yes, yes, yes. So mm-hmm. I think um, maybe the time has come to um, have that discussion,
0: okay. Um, how about just to give people more examples? Um, and I didn't prep you on this one, but the Lean law, mm-hmm. could you talk a little bit about that? I know that was something that you, if I'm a correct, you guys yeah. put that forward.
1: Uh, the, me- actually the subcontractors, uh, no, actually, you know, what? that's, it was so long ago. It was like 25 years ago. I can't believe it. Uh, we wanted to, to reform the mechanics lien law because of insult, there was insolvent contractors and it was a way to protect uh, everyone from the owner to the conveyancers, the title insurers, the generals and subs. That took about four years of negotiation. Oh, uh, forgive
0: me. Maybe I'm talking, not wording it correctly. So the, the one with notice a contract where if there's a mortgage holder and you release.
1: Oh, oh, this is a new, oh, this is a new one. Oh, this yes. is, ref, this would be amending that lien law. Yeah, yeah that yeah. was 25 years ago. Yeah, so what this was, this is one of our bills that would be, it's called priority of liens on construction projects. So, um what this would do is that so many times um, uh, a, a project gets started mm-hmm. before financing is secured. So a owner or developer will put forth their own funds. So it gets Maybe the site work will get started. And so um, normally to protect yourself, the generals and all the subs put liens on the project from day one so that you get in line with, with the timing of when you come onto a property so you can affect perfect your lien and then usually after each requisition the releases of lien happen and it goes all the way through and so at the end of the project all the liens are off but many
0: times the so, financing hasn't happened okay let me just, just back up again for the folks that might not understand all these mechanisms so when you're talking about getting in line so if you file i'm not sure what is the term a notice of contract, a notice of contract. It's, like a, it's, it's just a
1: notice that you're on the project and it's a paper that, yep. that protects you.
0: You in line, yep. and so developer goes bankrupt mm-hmm. or decides the to walk away. Or the, right? Yeah, the building is sold, and you you once you file that notice of contract, if you're first in line, you're going to be the first person paid, or you've yeah. got a better shot of being. You have a better shot if you get anything. Yeah, that's right. Exactly right.
1: Okay. So what happens though is when you go when the maybe after some of the work has been already in place, they go for financing. The banks, in order to loan the millions for that project, will go to the, to the Registry of Deeds. And if there's a lien, if there are liens on the project, they are say, we're not going to advance funding. Get get those liens off. Mm-hmm. So the problem is when you remove your lien to help the owner and developer get their money, you lose, you lose all your priority. Mm-hmm. So what our bill and someone on our committee said, you know, if you could just... There's a, there's a flaw in the original mechanics lien law, which states, which basically you lose that, lose that priority. So what we're just stating is that if you, any general contract, removes a lien you know, in order to assist someone for, for to, financing. financing and put it back within, I think it's 30 days or 7 days seven or 15, days. 7 days, yep. then you retain your priority. So you just remove it to get the financing. You put it back on and then you're all you, you you keep everything so the project funding is allowed the project funding continues the work continues and everything goes on on unencumbered
0: okay. and what's the status of that is it that- uh,
1: it was um, held in it was um, held in committee last year uh, i think the bankers and title companies um, opposed the legislation because they're opposed to any changes in the mechanics lien statute so we're thinking of rewriting the bill so instead to amend the bill so we're amending the prompt pay statute versus the mechanics lien statute. Cuz when we passed the mechanics lien law 20 years ago, mm-hmm. there was an agreement with us and the subs that like no one's going to start you know tinkering it was it was a huge lift. And we said this is it. This is it for the next 100 years. So if there's any tinkering, we all have to come to the table. We feel that this was just a simple tinkering, but they just don't want any changes cuz as soon as you do that and the legislature sees you. It looks like pulling a thread off of a sweater. As soon you do that, the whole thing could get changed. So we're thinking of maybe just going around. We heard their we heard their concerns, concerns. and maybe we maybe we're considering changing the uh, Prompt pay statute versus the lean statute. Okay, Te- it's all technical.
0: Yeah. Okay. No, I think this is actually lets people understand what is you know ninety nine percent of the people listening to this have no idea that that is even an issue mm-hmm. and have no idea that there's some group out there on mm-hmm. their behalf of the company that they yeah. work for that's trying to fix these yeah. things. And those are real things, right? The vicarious liability, uh, yeah. the, mechan- the, uh, the lean law, lean. like 10 hour training. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, and the neat thing about
1: this is that it's not just staff and our lobbyists going up. The, the great, I don't want to use the word fun, but I love it when it. we bring up our member companies to the hearings or to meet with legislators, because the legislators love it when you go into their offices and meet. Many times it's the staff, mm-hmm. the bureaucrats up there, and I do that. I say that in a daring way. It's the staff that get a lot of the stuff done. And you bring up your contractors to tell their story. So they know Petraselli, They know Patrick Huntington. Mm-hmm. But if you can bring in your contractors, and, and either to the committee chairs or the leadership of the committee, or you bring them in, like uh, Fran Colantonio from Holliston. If we go up and meet with his own Karen Spilka, the state senator, she's going to be the new Senate uh, president. But if you meet with them and talk to their legisl- the local legislators, this is how this law would affect me. This is why this bill can't go through. It's going to impact me as a contractor. Mm. Or this is how this bill by AGC is going to help our business and help me as a constituent. So it's really good to bring in the actual contractors. That's actually, start. yeah,
0: that's a very good point. Like it's, uh, it's easy to be, uh, it's more esoteric when it's a group that wants something versus when you're looking at somebody in the face saying, okay, this is what you're going to do to me, mm-hmm. my family and my business. I think that's a, that can be a lot more impactful. Yes. Um, so it's a very good point. I didn't, I didn't think about it that way. It's all
1: strategic. It's strategy because Patrick and I will say, okay, the hearings are coming up. Do you just want to get up and say something? I mean, sometimes it could be from me testifying to he said, you know, there's so much opposition or there's so much whatever. It's you go up afterwards and give your letter. Mm -hmm. You don't testify because we have to figure out politically is it better for us to submit the letter and then go in later on because sometimes you you don't want people to know that you're opposed. So if you go up and testify in opposition, they'll know that we oppose. So then we'll go up, put our letter in the hopper, and then we'll say, can we have an appointment with you? Mm. And we'll then we'll come up with a contractor or two and meet with them two weeks later and say why well, we oppose. And we won't publicly do it at the hearing.
0: So there's, it's,
1: people, it's, it's, all, poke,
0: it's poker happening, right? Yeah, there's it, people bluffing. Little, there's don't want, yeah, you know. It's okay.
1: a process. But it's, you know, the, the big thing is, yes, you, you do testify at hearings. Because sometimes if something is so egregious, you would publicly testify. And you would bring your coalition members to testify publicly why you don't like this bill. Mm. Uh, sometimes there's nuance. There's a lot of nuance in gray. So you may not want, you don't maybe you don't totally oppose the bill. And, but you want to go up later and speak to the staff or speak to the uh, rep as to why elements of it have concern. And that's why maybe it shouldn't pass or maybe let the legislature bring in the parties. because mm. it, It's every bill has a different strategy.
0: Okay. So we're running a uh, little late on time. Okay. So, um. And I'm slightly disappointed because I did want, and I will, um, maybe I'll paraphrase and you can correct me. I did want to have you talk a little bit about CM at risk, only because I thought it was a great example of something in the past. And what it was, roughly, the old mechanism for public contracting was... What everybody thinks of when they think of public contracting? Design,
1: bid, build, sue. Yes, <laughs> exactly. I just say that with tongue in cheek. <laughs> right, but the, the yeah the, the legislature, I mean the uh, public awarding authorities like DCAM and UMass and uh, State College Building Authority, as well as all the municipalities, just were clamoring for a different type of less tortured procurement process. So we see them at risk. It was two years in the making for uh, vertical building and design build for public. Uh, for horizontal building yeah. it took two years it was the greatest accomplishment AGC's ever done the greatest effort by a coalition mm. as i said yeah. everyone it so today
0: because of that bill no long uh, you have both forms but it's not solely just the people even that are not involved with construction think of government or municipal work <clears> to be <throat> you put in the lowest bid Possible, and then you get the drawings, and it's change orders all over mm-hmm. the place, and there's cost overruns, and there's not the building that happens with CM at risk like it in the public side. I mean, excuse me, on the private side where you would have a GMP or something like that. Yeah. So it's not full CM at, at risk, but yeah. it is. Um, it's an improvement where you now have a relationship with an owner mm-hmm. and a construction pre, manager, pre,
1: and plus the pre-construction, and you get to the uh, the CM gets to review the architect's drawings in advance, as opposed to having 100% complete drawings and no input by the if mm-hmm. they're constructible or not. And then the uh, on design bid build the subs bid directly to the awarding authority. The filed subbidder and those 17 trades bid directly to the awarding authority, and the general general has no say in that. So, at least now, after construction form, even with design bid build, we did put in a very rigorous pre-qualification. So, the awarding authority still would pre-qualify the filed submitters. So, at least you have, you know, um, a better quality of filed submitter bidding. Mm. Um, but most of the most of the larger projects go same at risk.
0: Yeah. So anybody listening to this that is working on a public project or works for a company that works on a public project and you're doing CM at risk and not dealing with this mm-hmm. absolute low bidder bitter closed envelope and that is has to do with a coalition yes. that AGC was part of how many years ago now?
1: It was 2004, 2005. Yeah. 2003 to 2005. Okay. Yep. But you know, even now with the, with the CM at risk, the 17 trades are called trade contractors. It's like a filed submit light. You still have that low open, low bid, mm-hmm. but the CM comes in up front. So the CM gets to pre-qualify them and the CM gets to vet them versus 149, design bid build. The awarding authority does it and the CM comes in last. They have no clue who's, you know, until they see the list. Yeah. Wow. So it's a vast improvement.
0: Yeah. No, that's great. Um, And now what if somebody's listening to this and they say, this is great. I'm glad that there's somebody doing this for us. Like, is there a way they could get involved? Is it a way Mm -hmm. that, I know you guys have a PAC. Is it something they could donate to? Can a a non-member donate to the PAC because they want? Yes.
1: A PAC is a political action committee and it's a fund set up by, Several, I mean, trade every trade association and every group, non I have to say nonprofit but like a you know, the Mass Teachers Association, as you mentioned, Mass CPA Society, <laughs> the Associated Generals, the unions. Everyone has a pack, and that mm-hmm. goes to the, uh, most elected officials at the state house. Uh, have re-election campaign funds. Just, they have their own pack, mm. so the packs contribute to the other pack. <laughs> okay. And so we sure. try to raise money and raise mm. money to pack. And what a well-financed pack means that we go to the fundraisers, and it gets you to talk to them. It's like not meeting at the state house, but you can end up talking to the staff. You meet the staff there too, and a lot of times they're the gatekeepers to legislation. So mm. it, it's it's a good way to communicate and get to know the state, the, the legislators. In addition to the norm, they have open hours too. And, and they're there for their constituents. Right. So it's like, well, who are you? Like, well, we're a business coming in to talk about a bill that they're sponsoring. So it does get that extra layer of access.
0: Okay. Yeah, so if if people are interested, I think check out AGC's website, AGC yeah. Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you guys have a, must have a whole tab on legislative or we advocacy. Do. Yeah. We didn't even touch on the other half, the non-state house stuff with mm-hmm. the warning authorities and all that kind of stuff. That could um, be a,
1: a podcast for another day. There you go,
0: part two would be great. <laughs> yeah. um, but no, I appreciate you coming in. And actually, this is always a great opportunity, especially when you get to have friends that you don't get to probably mm-hmm. see enough. Uh, come in and sit down. So this is awesome. I appreciate you coming in. This is terrific. It's been a lot of fun. Great. All thank right. you. Thanks, Bob. All right. Hey, everyone. Can't thank you enough for listening to the show. Uh, hope you enjoyed it. Hope you loved what you heard. Um, if you did, if you wouldn't mind heading over to SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, wherever it is that you listen, and give us a rating. It would help us to get heard, which would be huge. Keep this thing going. Um, if you want to get more involved, head over to massconstruction.org. You can see what we do there. You can also connect with us on LinkedIn, Instagram, or Facebook, all from that page, whatever your medium is that you prefer. Uh, and the last thing I got to say is thank you Thank you. Thank you.
1: Oh, Don't you keep your hands away from me. Yeah.